back in the fur shed for episode 43 of the Trapping Today podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood, and the Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cotts Brothers Lures. That's K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. You can check out Cotts Brothers for all of your trapping supply needs. They have a line of lures. They have lure making supplies. They have traps, uh, fur handling stuff. They got they got a whole pile of different things. Um, and uh, great company. Thank you guys for uh, supporting the podcast and very appreciate it very much. Um, in tonight's episode, I'm going to talk about something I didn't get to in the last podcast episode, which is very common with me, but. Uh, I'm going to talk about a book called Carry On by, it's it's about the life of Stan Zaray, written by Stan Zaray and Tim Atwell. And what I really want to talk about here is the life of Stan Zaray. Now, Stan is an interesting character, and I know it's not particularly a, a trapping-centered topic, but I thought as trappers, for, for me... Uh, I've always been fascinated by these guys that trap up in the wilderness in Alaska, northern Canada, in these these settings that are incredibly remote. Guys that live off the land because it's something that I I dreamed of doing, and I never did do. I I live in a fairly remote area, but um, have all the conveniences of modern society including a job and part of me always thought about that so when I was in college I actually had a friend that I went to college in Maine and I had a friend sometime I w- around one of my wildlife classes I was talking about Alaska and how I, I thought it'd be really cool to to go up there and and uh you know, kind of just live off the grid. And one of my teachers said, you know what, I think you really enjoy meeting this guy, Josh. She said, I'm going to give you his information, and, and I think you should contact him. So I said, all right, you know, what's the story? And she said, well, he, he is a student who's doing a semester in Maine. He's from Fairbanks, Alaska, and he's a big-time hunter and fisherman and trapper, and I, I think you guys would, would get along pretty well. So I contacted Josh, and we we met in the student union there at the University of Maine, and right from the minute I met him, I was like, you know, this, this is, uh, this, this is, guy, this is pretty awesome. You know, it was, it was like we, we'd been best buds forever. So Josh and I, that over the course of that, I guess it was probably, probably a year, proceeded to spend a lot of time talking about trapping in Alaska. And he kind of had just enough information to get me excited about it. So we would spend a lot of time kind of sitting around the kitchen table, my apartment, and looking over the gazetteer, the the map of Alaska, and you know, 
looking at different areas in the map and well what's here and who's got a trap line here what do you think about this area do you think we could maybe put a cabin here is it on state land federal land um, who do you know in that area it's pretty awesome I mean I it was close I, I was awfully close and, and when I when I started looking to advance my career and uh, looking for jobs to get experience Alaska Alaska was near the top of the list. The issue with Alaska was uh, in my field, I kind of have to work for government. There's no private sector jobs in the field I'm in. And the state of Alaska did not hire non-residents for almost anything. Um, Alaska residents had preference and, and it's very understandable. Unfortunately for me, there was no way of getting in. So I ended up going to Idaho and Utah and Montana had a great experience but I never did get to Alaska um, if if they didn't have that uh, that setup or that hiring process I probably would be there right now um, but anyway I, it was awesome it was it was a dream it was something I thought about Josh moved back to Alaska and, and he's living up there right now and over the course of the, the past several years, I've read a lot of books. I've looked, you know, I've I've, I've seen a lot. There's a there's been kind of a craze uh, in reality TV shows coming on the air. You've got a bunch of shows kind of focusing on guys that are up there living that type of lifestyle. You have uh, the Last Alaskans, which is an awesome show. It talks about goes over uh, guys. People that are living up in the uh, Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in the Brooks Range of Alaska. Haimo Korth, absolute legend up there. Uh, read his book about a dozen years ago. Uh, it was called The Final Frontiersman. If you get a chance to check that out, that's an incredible book. And saw a he had a, there was a National Geographic special back in the 90s uh, and included a young Heimokorth. He's living probably the most remote Alaskan remote lifestyle that, that you can and, and depending on fur as a very large portion of his income and has been for a very long time. Probably, I think at some point he trapped more wolverines than anybody in Alaska. Um, not that anybody's keeping record of that. Uh, he he trapped a whole pile of marten. Lives in, in cabins. Has three different cabins he lives out of and traps out of. Rotates cabins in, in order to avoid depleting the resources in those those particular areas. Raised several children. Uh, three or four daughters out there in the bush moved there from Wisconsin troubled childhood uh, wanted to love the woods wanted to get out get away from it he moved out there to Alaska and he moved out there he established uh, he ended up establishing a cabin and a trap line like the year before they made that a national wildlife refuge so he was grandfathered in, and, and nobody can, can ever do that again as part of the premise of that show, The Last Alaskans, these are kind of the last people that 
get to live that lifestyle that a lot of us have dreamed about. So enough about Haimo. There's an entirely additional episode that I could do on Haimo. Actually, uh, Vice TV did a documentary on him. Uh, You can go on YouTube. It's called Haimo's Arctic Refuge, I believe. And then that kind of led up to the Last Alaskans TV show that's had, I think, three seasons. I don't know if it's coming back. Uh... I, I hope, maybe it's back, I we don't have satellite TV anymore, so I gotta find a way to get it, um, <clears throat> but but just an incredible guy, incredible group of people that live up there and, and live that lifestyle. Uh, Life Below Zero is another TV show that re- relatively recently has featured that type of lifestyle, um, a, a number of different people in different parts of the Arctic living that way. And finally, there there are several others, uh, and, and at some point I'll probably cover them in a podcast episode, just kind of go over the trapping reality TV craze. But finally, we'll talk about Yukon Men. Yukon Men is a show that sprung up around a, a number of key characters who live in the village of Tanana, which is a population of about 300 people on the Yukon River near the junction of the Yukon and Tanana Rivers in interior Alaska. And it's, I think it's a couple hundred miles from Fairbanks. So, and and until recently there were no roads to get to it, so you had to get to it by boat or by plane. Uh, They they did put a road into the town, so that's changed a lot, a lot of things there. But, when I first watched Yukon Men, I thought it was the coolest thing to to actually see that because you always know that you know there's a lot of people living out there and and living that lifestyle, but to actually see it is is pretty cool from the comfort of your own home. And there was one character that I start started out watching the show, and there's this guy that's running dogs, and, and you know everybody else is buzzing around on snowmobiles, and he's got a dog team, and he's out trapping, running a trap line for Martin and Lynx and Wolverine, and he's doing it on a dog team. And they start interviewing and talking to him, and and he's got this thick, thick accent. He's got a Boston accent, and and you can pick it apart from anywhere uh that northeast that that coastal uh just you know Maine a lot of people that that live in my state of Maine have that same similar type of accent but but the Boston accent really really stuck out uh, <clears throat> pack the car you know instead of park the car it he just he spoke with that really thick accent it's like what this is really weird and then they talked about his history and he moved there 40 some years ago from as a troubled youngster in in Boston and uh, he had no future and and he was in a criminal you know he was in kind of a downward spiral to to be a criminal on the streets of Boston and he just moved out there and he's out in this village in remote Alaska it's like wow this is pretty amazing so you know, watching through several seasons, I think Yukon Man had like six seasons. It just got canceled 
in 2016 or 2017. 2017 was the last episodes were aired. And it covered, it followed a few other people as well. But Stan struck me as things moved on progressing to the you know further on in this in the series he he was a a pillar of the community a macgyver type guy who could fix anything he had a wife and children uh one of his 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 son joey was on the trap line with him they did stuff together he was involved in the community he was involved in in firefighting in you know doing stuff for the town it's just he he had great relationships and respect from from other members of the community it was really cool to see how this guy had kind of made himself a part of this village in remote alaska but he still was out going out in the woods and and running this trap line so i i was intrigued by him and i was just no, part of me was just thankful that the guy was willing to to share this with all of us by getting in front of cameras and, and telling his story. And of course, as with everything in reality TV, the, things are dramatized and certain scenes are like, uh, come on, you know, what, what are they doing this for? You know it's not real. But for the most part, it's pretty legit and... And Stan was a no-nonsense guy, is a no-nonsense guy, um, and and I really re- enjoyed watching him and and respected him just based on what I what I could see. Didn't know much about the history, so I'm looking on Amazon something the other day, and I was I was I think I bought I bought. Uh, a couple of books. Uh, Seth Kantner, if you've never heard of him, I, I'm a book nut and I do a bunch of stuff on outdoor books. But Seth Kantner writes is an Alaskan writer from uh, from Northwest Alaska, and Nick Jans. Those guys, they're they're in the Kotzebue area. Both writers. I was buying some of their books, and I saw this thing called Carry On Stanzeray Stanzeray's Journey from Boston Greaser to Alaskan Homesteader. By Stanzare and Tim Atwell or Atwell, and I thought, "Wow, that is awesome!" They actually wrote a book, and it was just published uh, in 2017. So, so very recent. I was like, "That's pretty awesome!" So I ordered it. I a couple days later, it showed up in the mail, and I started reading it. So I I got Stan's background. You know, I got I got a real glimpse into the history. Um, so just going through that a little bit, you can buy this book pretty much anywhere you can get books, um, and and I would highly recommend it. It's it's very it's a very good read. But it goes over the background of Stan's youth, and and it's a really interesting background. It ha- it occurred at a time when a lot of these guys that are now in their sixties uh, took off for the woods, took off for the wilderness. So they were growing up <clears throat> back in the they're coming to age, I guess coming of age in the the late 60s, early 70s. And around that time, you know, Stan was a teenager in in Boston and in addition to all the crime and in the lifestyle, 
the the troublesome lifestyle that he was involved with, you had a little something called the Vietnam War going on. And the war was very controversial and there were there were a lot of people who uh, who did their time and sacrificed their lives, a lot of people who sacrificed a lot, good part of their youth to fight for this country in that war. And there were a lot of people who disagreed with that war. It was it was a very, very difficult time for the United States. And Stan was kind of stuck in, in that. And he was seeing his friends coming back from the war and they were just so messed up they were they were heavy on drugs they were emotionally screwed up they they were just different people and he didn't want that he he just didn't he his experiences in boston with with authority uh he saw a lot of corruption their boston is known for corruption in in politics and a lot of that stuff and he just didn't he didn't want it so he wanted to get away so he left he ended up uh, he went through the whole draft process. They decided that he wasn't fit to be drafted, and then he took off. He went to Canada first. He went to British Columbia. He lived. He he was always looking at. You know, he just wanted to get away. He was kind of a hippie. Kind of he stayed at kind of a commune place for a while. You know, young kids, very uh, impressionable, and just kind of go with what they learn and who they meet. And he he stayed at that little commune place, and then he decided he just wanted to be in the woods. He just wanted to get away from people. So he looked on a map, and he found the what's the furthest place away from civilization I can go. And he found this little, like, mining town in British Columbia. It was way up in the mountains. No winter road access, just kind of a summer road. Population of about a dozen people. And he drove until he got there he showed up and apparently he wasn't the only one looking for a place to get away because there were uh, I think there were six or eight other Americans that were there kind of hiding out and they were actually dodging the draft so Stan lived there with uh, a couple of people I think another another kind of guy that in a similar situation as him and, and then he met and befriended some some native people that were up there that kind of taught him about the lifestyle anyway he ended up leaving there uh and and was back in boston for a short time he met a girl and he always had this desire like i'm gonna get i'm gonna go to alaska alaska was still in the u.s he could he wouldn't be living illegally in another country and he would also be able to live this wilderness lifestyle so no solid plans except i'm going to save up i'm going to work a job save up enough money in this gunk hole of a town and stay out of trouble he met this girl who wanted to kind of she she kind of was sold on that lifestyle as well so made plans he was like working all day and making snowshoes at night and and doing a bunch of stuff stockpiling food and supplies and everything and finally he had a vehicle had enough supplies and he took off they took off together across the country they drove 
a rundown vehicle over to Fairbanks, Alaska. They got into Fairbanks and they started talking with people. They found out that there was land available. There were, was federal land available in this area in kind of west of Fairbanks for uh, staking. It was still, it was during that period of time when it was kind of like uh, the later versions of the Homesteading Act where they would offer people uh, a small piece of land if you settled on it, built a cabin, uh, you know, kind of built a home and, and made something of the land, made improvements, uh, just to kind of encourage, I guess, some sort of settlement there. So when they heard that, they sold the car, and they used the money from selling the car to, they went straight to the airport, and hired a pilot to fly them out over that area so they could land, build a cabin, file file the paperwork, and stake their claim once they selected a place. So this was it. They sold the car, they got all the supplies they could fit in the plane, and they flew. They flew over this river valley the called the Tozitna River, the Tozi River, I think it's T-O-Z-I-T-N-A. And as they're flying over, Stan was looking out the window and kind of, okay, this looks good, that looks good. Finally, they found a spot that looked suitable for, you know, there was timber to build a cabin. It was a good stretch of river where a plane could probably land. It looked, uh, looked pretty suitable. So the pilot landed the plane, dropped him off, and and he took off, he left, they never saw him again. So that's kind of the beginning of the story. And it's a, a really fascinating journey that the, the whole book takes you through. As far as, you know, they were, they were actually where they landed. They didn't know where they were. They knew the general area, but they really didn't know where they were, what the nearest town was or anything. It turns out that cabin site, they they built a cabin they settled in they uh you know they started growing crops and everything it, it was you know pretty pretty amazing what they did that was approximately 30 miles from Tanana Alaska um a small town on on the Yukon River and uh eventually Stan he basically just ended up walking into town and finding it and and he had some rough, there were some learning curves, uh, there were some rough patches early on, and they had some people in Tanana that really helped him out uh, and got him going. And they they withstood some, some difficult, uh, some really difficult things. The thing that fascinated me about Stan was how he had to be an incredibly hard worker, incredibly ingenious, and, and just really confident. I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Just a doer, you know. He just he. It didn't seem to bother him that he didn't know where he was. Didn't seem to bother him that there was no money to buy groceries. There was no place to get groceries. Uh, he only had hand tools to build a cabin with. He didn't have any transportation. He he got some dogs. He finally he built sleds by hand. He ended up training dogs to pull the sleds and had a period where times were so tough they had no food they were starving they had to eat dogs 
Um, they had to kill the dogs and eat the dogs. I mean, it was just really, really incredible story and how, uh, how dedicated he was, how hardworking and, and just, uh, just a, a survivor, you know, a real survivor. So a lot of things happened, um, in the 40 years from the time that he settled on the Tozy River. Uh, Stan ended up, you know, his, his first wife, um, that ended, she moved back to civilization, um, had other goals in life that she wanted to accomplish. Uh, Stan ended up moving into town in Tanana. He, uh, he found a woman, uh, a native, uh, in Tanana that, uh, was, you know, they fell in love. Um, they are still together today, living in, in Tanana with, I believe, three children, um, he still traps out there on his Tozy River. That he still has the Tozy River cabin that he built. Um, it's just a, it's quite a story. It it really is. So if you want to check that out, carry on. Uh, Stan's Age journey from Boston Greaser to Alaskan Homesteader. Another thing that I found was Stan is, he's uh, he's quite an outgoing guy, and he has a YouTube channel. Now back about. I want to say about 25 or 30 years ago, a young Stan was interviewed by a filmmaker who was going to make a documentary on his story. Uh, he was in for some sled dog races, and he he filmed Stan for, I want to say, 10 hours of filming at the Tozy River cabin, talking about how he got started, his history, how they ended up there, what they did, how they grew gardens, how he built boats and dog sleds and going into town and trapping and just the whole the whole life for for that period of time. So I want to say it was kind of a midpoint between now and when he started. And Stan, the guy never ended up doing anything with all that footage. And time was getting past, getting by him, and he's like, you know, I... I kind of want to, you know, you just take the videotapes. He sent him the tapes and said, just do, you know, do with them what you, what you think uh, you want to do. He said, I'm not going to make anything out of it. So Stan's putting them up on YouTube. I think he has six or seven of them up and they are unbelievable. I've been listening to them while I've been working around the house, uh, on those YouTube videos and and it's pretty amazing if you see Stan in the Yukon Man show and you see him back then. It, it's it's quite something to see and to hear to hear him talk uh, about those days. So check out the you know check out the book. Uh, I'll leave I'll put a link to the book on on uh, on the show notes here for on trappingtoday.com for this podcast episode. And also uh, I'll put a link to the to his YouTube channel that has those videos on it pretty fascinating stuff uh, I love it uh, glad to have the chance to to see uh, how how things turned out for Stan and the fact that he was one of those people in that period of time one of the few that was very very successful and and still is there and still is out there living that lifestyle uh, kind of like Haimo you don't see that uh, a, a very very small percentage of the people who started out actually are still there doing it. 
So pretty cool stuff. Um, maybe a, a good life goal. A good goal for me in the podcast is is maybe someday I'll get Stan on here to do an interview on Trapping Today podcast to talk trapping. Uh, I think that'd be pretty awesome. Uh, but anyway, in, until then, um, I hope you enjoyed this. A little bit of a departure from strict trapping talk, but I think it's it's still pretty cool because a lot of us that are trappers have have had this dream of going out in the wilderness, building a cabin. And uh, Alaska, you know, today it'd be very difficult to do. Um, you could you could do it, but but you could you could only do part of you could only fulfill part of that dream that Stan actually fulfilled back back in that time and that Heimo Court and that many others had done uh, in those days. Um, they really caught that last wave of opportunity to go out in the homestead and and build a cabin, go basically where you wanted to go. Uh, now the land's all all divvied up. Uh, the, there are many restrictions on what you can do. You can still you can still get creative. You can do a few things, but um, they they are they're kind of the the last of a breed, if if you will. So anyway, with that, uh, I hope that was interesting to you. Um, I I really love that stuff. I love getting into it. Um, check that out, and please support Cots Brothers Lures. Sponsors of the Trapping Today podcast, bringing episodes to you every week. Uh, thank you guys, Kyle and Kellen Cotts. Uh, awesome trapping supply company and great supporter of the Trapping Today podcast. Take care, guys. Keep on thinking trapping. Keep on dreaming that trapping wilderness homesteader lifestyle if you are inclined to do so. And we'll catch you in the next episode.